And Father, as we get ready for our study, we do pray uh, that you would just minister to our hearts your word, seeing that you are sovereign and your word is true for us, that it will come to pass. You've got a plan for us. And Lord, I do want to right now, while it's on our hearts and minds, as we get ready to bring everything inside in the beginning of September in about three weeks, we just pray that this COVID, the numbers would really decrease and we just pray for healing in our community. We pray for healing on our land and in our nation. And more than just from a, 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 the COVID, but Lord, spiritually, more than anything. And that we as the church, that we would continue to be a voice of truth. And I also want to pray for our, our young people particularly. And, and it's not just them, but as they are making decisions, parents for their kids go back to school, that... You give them a peace. You give them direction, wisdom. I pray that they would be safe as they go back to school, that you uh, just put a covering over them and hedge of protection around our families here and, and in those schools and our teachers. We have several teachers that uh, come here to Calvary, and I'm, I'm thankful that they are light in those school places, uh, in the high schools, in the middle school, or in, in the... Uh, uh, elementary and private schools. I thank you that they are light being used of you. And I just pray that you give them wisdom and that you would give them just the, the direction and guidance and strength to be able to, to minister to their kids. Yes, they're giving them an education, but it's much more than that. And Lord, so I thank you that they are light. And I just pray wherever you've placed us, because it's been hard that we would look to you, and, Lord, that we would be used of you because the church is still alive. And as we study the word here, we know that even though it's been difficult and even though we're going through uh, birth pangs, we're going through trials, we're in the last days that are perilous, uncertainty that you're still sovereign and you have a wonderful plan and your word is true for us. And you're going to see us through. Your word's going to come to pass. So encourage us as we study this chapter of Jeremiah. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, of course, if you've been with us in our study of the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah has been ministering the word of the Lord to the house of Judah. His ministry was about 40 years long. And as we enter into chapter 32, this is getting close to the end of Jeremiah's ministry. And, and it's been difficult. It hasn't been easy. He's brought a, a word from the Lord to the people saying that uh, turn back to him. And, and you need to turn away from your evil ways. Uh, there was all kinds of sin that was happening in the nation, even though Jeremiah began his ministry during the godly uh, reign of, of Josiah. And the people, they went with the reforms that he made as he called for the Passover to be celebrated and for temple worship to be installed once again. But as soon as he died in 609 B.C., we know that they fell right back into idol worship. And as we pick up chapter 32, Zedekiah, uh, his reign is about ready to end. Jerusalem is about ready to be destroyed. So Jeremiah is towards the end of his ministry. He's been persecuted. He's addressed the leaders of Judah, the civil leaders, 
Uh, he has addressed the religious leaders and the people. And all of them, as we're going to see in this chapter, are going to be indicted for turning away from the Lord, not turning to him, and uh, not uh, giving their uh, worship to the true and the living God. They had forsaken the covenant that God made with them at Mount Sinai that if you follow after me, I will bless you. But if not, then uh, you're going to end up going and being defeated by your enemy and you're going to go off into captivity. So as Jeremiah has been given that word, because you refuse to turn to the Lord, you're following the dictates of your evil heart, you're going to go off into captivity by the Babylonians. But also, you recall, Zedekiah was the last king of Judah before the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. He, he ruled for about 11 years. Keep that in mind as we read verse 1 of chapter 32. Matter of fact, I'll read it to you right now. That the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The captivity has already begun. It began in 605 B.C., with the captives beginning to be taken off to Babylon and then another deportation, as you know from our studies, in 597 B.C. And at that time, Zedekiah was placed as king over Judah. And Jeremiah came to Zedekiah and said, Zedekiah, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Submit to him, and, and even though you'll be uh, under his yoke, and even though he's going to rule over this area, we know that the message was that Jerusalem will be spared. And if you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, then Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And, and that's what we're going to begin to see that happens. And, and chapter 32 has taken place just about a year before the final assault on Jerusalem. And in that final siege, uh, we know that he would be taken. We're going to talk about that, captive his family. His son's killed right before his eyes. And there's great death and destruction and, and, and um, despair that takes place as Jerusalem would be you know, just leveled in Solomon's temple as well. And Jeremiah had warned Zedekiah, don't do that. And yet Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. We know that those other nations around Israel, uh, they had joined together perhaps trying to come against Nebuchadnezzar. The false prophets were saying that, hey, this captivity is only going to be a few years. Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall and all of this. And, and yet they would not believe the word of the Lord. So here is this time uh, right before the final assault on Jerusalem. And as we read in verse 2, For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and, Jer and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. So the armies of Nebuchadnezzar had begun to siege Jerusalem, getting ready for the final assault on Jerusalem. And they shut up Jeremiah in prison. Now, Jeremiah has been going through persecution by his own uh, brethren from his own town of Anathoth. We know that Zedekiah has come against him. The religious leaders have come against Jeremiah. And here he is put uh, into the prison there in Jerusalem, arrested, locked up, 
why was he locked up during this time? It's really quite amazing. Verse 3, Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And then, verse 5 tells us, he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So Jeremiah hasn't changed his message over the years. He's come to Zedekiah. Uh, he even came to the leaders before Zedekiah. Jehoiakim and said, listen, this is what's going to happen. Uh, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be defeated. You're going to be carried off to Babylon. Uh, Jehoiakim was carried off. He said the same thing to Zedekiah. You're going to be carried off now. And here it is, the final siege of Jerusalem. The armies are surrounding. Things don't look good. And Zedekiah is blaming Jeremiah for speaking truth. Hey, you've been prophesying against me. You've been prophesying against our nation. And Zedekiah, for some reason in his mind, he sees Jeremiah not as one who is an instrument of God and a voice for God, giving the word of the Lord to the people and prophesying, but he sees Jeremiah as a traitor, and he says, you've been prophesying these things, that the Chaldeans are going to come and we're going to be delivered into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and I'm going to be led away to Babylon, and, and we are not going to prevail. Even though things look really bad, he, he throws Jeremiah in prison. And it's hard to kind of, for me, to comprehend that because don't you see the army surrounding Jerusalem? Don't you see that things are bad? Don't you realize how strong Nebuchadnezzar is and you chose to rebel against him like you're going to get away from it and, and you're going to be able to defeat him? There's no way. But as I think about it, even today, we have the word of God that we can give to people and it interests me today that Jesus told us about the end times because here's the thing about these chapters. We're in chapters 30 through 33, which are chapters of consolation given to uh, God's people, to the Jews, to the house of Israel, the house of Judah. And what I mean by that is Jeremiah speaking words uh, that are very difficult and of judgment that is coming because of the rebellion against the Lord, you're going to go off into captivity. He told them in chapter 29, but after 70 years, as you plant yourself in Babylon, have children, plant gardens, live peaceably with the people, that 70 years, God's going to visit you. That is, he has a plan, and he's going to bring you back and know that he's your future and hope. He's going to bring you back, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Daniel realized the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied of captivity in Daniel chapter 9, began to pray, hey, the 70 years are almost over, because Daniel went into captivity at the very beginning in 605 B.C. as a young teenager, probably 16, 17 years old. And at the end of the 70 years, when he is in his, you know, 80s and probably approaching 90, he begins to pray in chapter 9. His 70 years are almost over because that's what Jeremiah said. He recognized what Jeremiah had 
spoken was the word of the Lord. And, and then we see that chapter that we discussed, uh, that the then prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel come. But we know that it was told to them, you're going to come back from that captivity. But in these chapters, we know that there's future implication. And that's the interesting thing about when you study particularly when you study uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and when we go into the book of Ezekiel later on after Jeremiah, that there is near fulfillment of those prophecies, but also future fulfillments as well. And it was Isaiah that said, you're going to experience judgment. You're going to go off into captivity. Uh, he would speak of the judgment of the nations, and there would be a near fulfillment, but also there's a future fulfillment. And in these chapters here, he is telling them that, yes, you're going to go off into captivity, but you need to consider that this is uh, going to be things that are going to take place in the latter days. At the end of chapter 30, uh, in the latter days, you will consider it. And then he gives the new covenant in chapter 31 that we went over last time. In that chapter, he talked about Jacob's trouble. There's going to be a time when the house of Israel and the house of Judah are going to come back and God's going to restore them and God's going to do an amazing work in, in bringing them back into the land and their eyes are going to be open and they're going to call out to the Lord and you're going to know me. Chapter 31, the new covenant, uh, that this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The new covenant where you're going to have a new heart is no longer writing the law in the tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments, but I'm going to write my law on your heart and you're going to have a new relationship you're going to have a new relationship with me the lord says and that you're going to have just a new life walking with me knowing me and we get to experience that new covenant as christians because we are forgiven of our sins through the cross of Jesus Christ, and we have a new heart, and we, we, we become believers that everything has changed. All things have passed. All things become new. Regeneration, and then a new relationship with him as the Lord dwells in our hearts, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and, and we know that the law is written on the tablets of our heart, the Word of God. The Spirit of God working in us to give us the power to live for Him. And we are ones that we have a new relationship. We have relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. We get to experience a new covenant. But here there's going to be a future where we know that this is going to be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus Christ comes back in the second coming and he establishes his kingdom and he restores the nation of Israel. When they go through a time of turmoil, they're going through a time of turmoil here right before the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon, but there's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, a time of tribulation, Daniel chapter 9 that I made reference to. In that seven-year tribulation, they will go through uh, a very difficult time. 
They will go through the fire. But then Joel chapter 2, they'll call for a fast. And at that time, Romans chapter 11, Paul says, as he started that chapter by saying, has God cast away his people? He said, certainly not. For in that time, all of Israel will be saved. When their eyes will be open, according to Zechariah, and they will say, as they mourn the one who has been pierced, where did you get those wounds? And he will say, I got them in the house of my friends. Their eyes are going to be open and they're going to recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of this new covenant, that promise given to the house of Israel, God's people. And you see, here's the thing. The Lord, he just, he continues as we finished last week. He says, when are those ordinances going to depart? Because there are those even in evangelical churches today, and it seems like that this doctrine of replacement theology has even grown among some churches, that the church is Israel, that Israel forfeited all the promises that are given here. And when you believe that, you have to dismiss whole chapters, like chapter 31, and chapter 32, this section of Jeremiah, sections in, in an Isaiah and Ezekiel. But he says, when will that promise I gave to you, the new covenant, these ordinances depart if heaven can be measured above when the foundations of the earth search out beneath can be measured, you know? In other words, never. We'll never know how large the universe is. You know, scientists send uh, these amazing satellites and cameras that search the far reaches of the universe. We don't know how big it is. We can't measure the depth of the earth. In other words, what the Lord is saying, my love will never depart from you. And my promises will never depart from you. I will see this through. I will fulfill my promise for Israel. And what amazes me is people can dismiss that. Oh, Israel, you know, the Jews coming back into the land in 1948 as was promised by Scripture after 2,000 years of being out of the land. That's just a coincidence. No, God is preparing the people for what is about ready to happen. And, and listen, this is very important. Because I know that we're going through a season perhaps right now, maybe you are, where you think, Lord, are you still on the throne? And what's going on? And why did you allow this? Everything that's going on is moving forward. It is pointing to the culmination of things that will take place where his kingdom is going to be established. And we know we've had the privilege to study these prophecies and go through the book of Revelation and to talk about end time scenarios, what is going to take place. God has let us in on that so we can be established in truth. And Jesus said, and we will see it in Matthew's gospel later on in the Olivet Discourse, that there's certain signs that are going to point to the return of Jesus Christ. We're seeing those signs, aren't we? I mean, here is Jeremiah. He gave the word of the Lord. And the Chaldeans are going to surround Jerusalem and going to destroy Jerusalem because that's what God said is going to happen. And they throw him in prison because you speak against us. You said that the Chaldeans are going to, to you know, overcome us. And they didn't like that. People today, when we talk about end time scenario, we don't want to hear that. There's the, the storm clouds gathering. There are the birth pangs all around us, screaming at us that the Lord's coming back very soon, and he's coming back for his church. Please don't ignore it. 
And to know that the Lord sovereignly sits on the throne and he sees you and he will fulfill his promise to you that we're going to go home and we're going to be out of this, you know, Babylon and and he's going to take us home. And that's what the Lord's going to begin to show Jeremiah here as he continues to minister. But we believe the word of the Lord and we can have joy in our hearts, even as Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, Look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. But let's continue looking at that. Um, as uh, we said that uh, in verse 5, he, he's upset at Jeremiah. And uh, we know that it would happen uh, that it was Zedekiah that was taken away to Babylon. What happened was is that he did not escape. He, he escaped for a short time. He tried to run from uh, the Babylonian army. They captured him took him to in front of Nebuchadnezzar, killed Zedekiah's two sons before his eyes, and then plucked out Zedekiah's eyes. And then he went to uh, uh, Babylon. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 12, I believe, verse 13, that the prophecy of Ezekiel was, you're not going to see Babylon. He would go there, but his eyes were plucked out. Quite amazing how specific the Bible is. But as we read verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. And then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So interesting, Jeremiah's cousin comes to him and visits him in prison, asks him if he wants to buy a field where Jeremiah is from, from his hometown. And Jeremiah is from a priestly family, and we know that as he did, uh, we can go to Leviticus chapter 25. And what would happen is that if a a person fell on hard times, perhaps Jeremiah's cousin fell on some hard times, and it is difficult. Many of the people are gone, and, and just some people are left behind, some of the leaders, uh, those that take care of the land. Uh, Jeremiah's cousin falls on hard times. We don't know the circumstances of it, and needed to sell the land to pay debts. And you could do that according to Leviticus chapter 25. You could sell the property with the intention of, of paying back the debt. You could also sell it, usually what was done, to a family member to keep it in the family. Inheritance was very important in ancient Israel. And that family member that would buy it was known as the kinsman redeemer. And so here is Jeremiah, the nearest of kin that is left, that his cousin comes and says, will you buy the property to keep the property in the family, redeem the property? And we know that uh, we see this in Scripture, in in the book of Ruth, a wonderful little book during the days of the judges, that it was Boaz that redeemed the property from Naomi and her two sons from Ruth, uh, who was the wife that her husband had died, um, Naomi's son, and was Naomi's daughter-in-law. They come back from Moab when there is famine to Bethlehem, 
And it was Boaz that redeemed the land that was in Naomi's family, her husband and sons, and also took for himself a wife. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer, who redeemed us to uh, get a bride. The bride is you and me. And Jesus, being our kinsman redeemer, that he redeemed us, not with gold and silver, as Peter writes in his epistle, but with his precious blood. Listen, you are valuable to the Lord. And he redeemed you to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into right relationship with the Father, the new covenant, to give you a new heart, to give you a new life. All things become new. And it's going to take you home to be with him for all eternity and to take a bride, the church, the bride of Christ. Absolutely incredible, the love of our Lord, what he has provided for us. So it seems as though here is... You know, his cousin, uh, there's no brothers, uh, as though Jeremiah is the only one left in the family to redeem the property. Now, this probably is not the best time to buy land. Babylon had already taken over most of, you know, Judah, and being in prison, I'm sure that it wasn't Jeremiah's priority to buy the land. But Jeremiah, you know, uh, said that the word came to me that this was going to happen, And indeed it happened, and then in verse 8, I knew that it was the word of the Lord. Listen, the word of the Lord is going to happen. And sometimes when we hear the word of the Lord, the Lord says to you and to me, I want you to forgive that person. I want you to pray for that person that perhaps has been difficult to you and hard on you. And again, forgiven uh, is something that God has called us to do, the imperative to forgive. It doesn't mean automatically that relationships will be restored or you put yourself to where uh, you continue to be hurt, but I'm not going to let that person have power over me. I'm not going to have bitterness. I'm I'm going to uh, trust you, Lord, and I'm going to forgive or maybe to go the extra mile or to rejoice when you're persecuted. All those things that we learn in the Sermon on the Mount And Jeremiah, I'm sure he's probably thinking, I don't understand why I'm supposed to buy this land. It doesn't make sense. I I, I don't have understanding. And sometimes when we hear the word of the Lord, that we don't always have understanding why you're doing this, Lord. But the Bible says that we're to trust in him always and lead not on our own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And that's what he's doing here. He's going to be showing Jeremiah something here, and he wants to show us that his word is true. His word is true to you. His promise is given to you. And his word will be fulfilled, and he is faithful in every dot and tittle that he gives to you and to me. And it's wonderful when we go through life and we see the promises being fulfilled, but uh, the Lord is showing Jeremiah that that I'm working here. And let's see how in verse 9. So I bought the field for Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anathoth, and weighed out him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. In verse 11, and so I took the purchase deed, both that was sealed according to the law and customs, that w- which was opened. And I gave the purchase deed to Barak of the son of Neriah, son of 
Meshiah and in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. And then I charged Barak uh, before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed which is open, and put them in earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So the transaction is legal. Uh, it is sealed. Uh, it would be kept as they uh, would be in captivity for a while. And these documents would show when they come back into the land, who owns the land. And this was, as we're going to see, a, a lesson to Jeremiah. And, and the lesson was that um, you're going to come back. And, and this should be an encouragement to you, Jeremiah, that I'm not done with my people. God has given assurance of the people's return into the land. But it shows you and me that we are to invest what? In the kingdom. As I read this, I think that we are to store up our treasures in heaven, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, as we saw in our Matthew study, and, and to know that, um, that there's all kinds of truth that is given to us in the New Testament, store up your treasures in heaven, because, you know, where moth and rust don't destroy, and where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you're investing in the kingdom, your heart is going to follow if you're just investing in the world, know that this world is going to go away. It's going to uh, not exist at one point. It's, everything's going to burn up. This is Babylon. And it's going to come to an end. And we're just passing through. But Jesus gave the parable of the minas and the parable of the talents of what has been given to us that we're invest that in the kingdom because we're going to give an account to our master. And rewards are going to be given to us. Jesus said that you are to be faithful in, in the righteous mammon. If you're not faithful in the righteous mammon, what's been given to you, you know, if you, if you can't uh, be faithful in earthly mammon, that is what God has given to you, how are you going to be entrusted with the heavenly manna? All kinds of truths and principles. There's rewards that are going to be given to us. As Paul says, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged for our sins, but to be receiving rewards. Listen, we're going to go home. The Lord's going to see us through. And, and the world is just something that is temporary. But the kingdom of God is eternal. So these are being shown to Jeremiah, verse 16. When I had delivered a purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers to the bosom of their children after them, the great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the Son of Men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel and among other men. You have made yourself a name as it is to this day. In verse 21, you have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with 
great terror. You gave them this land of which you swore to your fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds, they have come into the city to take it, and the city has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened, there you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. So Jeremiah prays for understanding. And there's nothing wrong with praying for understanding. But he's saying, you are great and mighty, Lord. You, you are uh, the one who made the heavens and the earth. Your great power, verse 17, an outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Lord, and he goes through asking for understanding in this, and and he's saying, Lord, you're telling me to buy this land when we're about ready to go under. He kind of reviewed, I know that you brought us out of Egypt. You gave us this land. You worked miracles. Uh, you uh, swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. The great signs that came upon Egypt and stuff. And verse 23 is really a sad verse because they came and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. They, they forsook the covenant you made with them. They have been disobedient, and now this calamity is coming upon them. Again, to remind us, that the Lord says, don't sin, don't pursue the world, because whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And, you know, there's going to be this, this corruption that uh, is going to come forth. Uh, uh, f you're going to reap rotten fruit. If you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And now this is what's happening here. And... He's saying, Lord, I'm to buy this field now? It's going to the hands of the Chaldean in verse 26 as we continue. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God is helping Jeremiah to have a proper perspective. You know, Jeremiah, that I'm the Lord and there's nothing too hard for me. Reminding him, verse 17, Jeremiah said, Lord, I know that there's nothing too hard for you. And then the Lord comes back and says, yeah, you know there's nothing too hard for me. I know that the Lord has to remind me of his character, his truth. He reminds me of, of his truth given to me. And then in verse 28, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me uh, from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. 
In verse 31, for this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from that day have built it even to this day. So I will remove it from before my face because all uh, of all the evil and the children of Israel and children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God is going to be given assurance to to Jeremiah, but uh, they set their idols in the house of the Lord. Uh, they um, worship those idols. There is sin that has happened. Uh, the evil of the children of Israel that has happened to the kings, the civil leaders, their princes, the priests, the religious leaders, their prophets with a false message, and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he's speaking here that they have just turned away from the Lord. It's, it's, it's permeated um, the whole land, and they refuse to follow after the Lord. But as we continue in verse 33, that, and they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they have built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hammon, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Moloch, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So they, they worship false idols. They put to high places for those false worship. They set up abominations in the house of the Lord. I pray that we never have that which is worldly come into the house of this Lord. And you guys have sacrificed your own children on the arms of Moloch in the Gehenna Valley. We've already seen that indictment against them. You've done evil in the sight of the Lord. But this is why you're going off into captivity. But we see that God's going to say, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say, It shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. Behold, now he gives them hope. I will gather them out of the countries which I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. So God is saying, listen, I'm not through with you, and even though this, this word of judgment has been given, I'm going to bring you back from all the countries, and I believe that this has future implications of what is being Told here, speaking of the end times, bringing them back from all the countries, as we know, that is happening even now, partial fulfillment. We'll talk about that as we go into Ezekiel 36 and 37, and then the ultimate fulfillment when Jesus comes back and he gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth, and that is uh, his people. And they shall be my people, verse 38, and I will be their God. And then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. In other words, a reverence in their heart. And they're going to, you know, turn to me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will surely plant them in this land with all my heart, with all my soul. In verse 42, and thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great calamity on this people, I will then bring on them all the good that I have promised them. He will bring it to pass. He is going to fulfill this promise. 
that he will plant them back into the land and he's going to rejoice over them. And the fields which will be bought to this land of which you say is there desolate without man or beast has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witness in the land of Benjamin in the places around Jerusalem in the cities of Judah in the cities of the mountains in the cities of the lowland and cities of the south and I will cause their captives to return says the Lord. An amazing prophecy. I'm going to bring them back and you're going to build the ancient cities. You're going to buy the lands again. This is going to be your land and I will be your God and he doesn't leave them without any hope and that is the good news for you and for me here tonight because he will fulfill his promise and we know that he will bring us home for you and I as Christians there's bad news that your sin has caused death the wages of sin is death but the Lord didn't leave us without any hope and the hope is that Jesus, the message we give, went to a cross and died for you. And he rose again from the grave and he conquered sin and death. And now we belong to this new covenant as we come in faith, believing in him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he loves you. And as you come to him, he rejoices over you and forgives you. And you have a relationship with him and he's going to bring you home to heaven. And you're going to be planted there with him forever. And it's so glorious. He did not leave us without any hope. And his word is true given to us. And this was to be encouragement to them. Jeremiah, you bought the land because it's, it's a lesson. It's a, a lesson for you to embrace that I'm going to be faithful to my word. And there's a future and a hope that comes from me, for my people. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that this chapter can encourage us that your word is true. You will bring it to pass. You didn't leave us without any hope. We know that our sin has separated us from you, that there's a, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that you have brought hope to us through your son, Jesus, who went to a cross and died for us. If there's anything that we understand tonight, it is this. That we have hope, and our hope is Jesus and faith in him. It's the only hope that we have. We see the storm clouds gathering. We know that your word's going to come to pass, yes. The prophetic scenario is going to take place. That there's going to be a Jacob's trouble. But we also know that you're going to take us home. You're going to take us home. We're, as Christians, the believers aren't even going to go through that time of tribulation. But we will be raptured. And we will go home. And there's rewards to be given for what we have done for you, Lord. So we are to invest in the kingdom. Because this world is like Babylon. Babylon would end up falling, and this world's going to fall. And then your kingdom's going to be established. So I want to pray, first of all, if... You're listening and you're discouraged. Know that God is sovereign and his promises are true and you have a future and you have a hope in him. And you may not always understand, but fall back on the things that you do understand of his love and faithfulness and provision for you. And if you're listening, anyone by chance, and you've never given your life to Jesus, he's given the invitation to come. Call on the name of the Lord. Come to the family of God. Be a part of this new covenant. 
as you come in faith, recognizing that my sin has separated me from God, but Jesus took my sin upon himself and made atonement for my sins, and now I come to the cross, you can pray and say, Jesus, forgive me. I believe you died for me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I believe you rose from the grave and you're alive. And I thank you for this new life, a new beginning, a new relationship with the Father that comes through you, and a new heart, a new heart being changed and forgiven and washed clean in Jesus' name. And I just thank you, Lord, for these lessons because we need to be encouraged even when we feel like we're in prison with the difficulties and the uncertainty, even as Jeremiah was. But, Lord, knowing that you are sovereign and true and your word is true and come to pass. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday, 8.30, 10.30. Also online, if that's uh, how you watch us. Have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you then. God bless you.